Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to The Goods, a film podcast. This is Brian, and I'm here with Dan. Hey, Brian. Hey, good to be here again. It is no longer October. Did you know? I know. We, we escaped. We, we got through Halloween, got through Spooktober. It was a fun month, though, you know? I'm going to miss the spookiness a little bit. I'm glad that we have one more podcast here to talk about something perhaps frightening. Yes, that's because, as always, I kind of like to bleed over into the next month, especially when it comes to Halloween. You need some decompression. You're not just ready for Christmas right away, and you're certainly not ready to be completely bereft of a holiday. You know, you get the bends if you just jump from intense spook season to nothing. So I have come up with a pair of films to talk about today which will help us bridge the gap between spooky and otherwise. It's kind of uh, October light. And I've found a way to tie them both to make them appropriate in November. These are the films Zombies and Zombies 2, uh, two Disney Channel original movies. So longtime fans may remember that back last December... We covered some musical DCOMs, as they are often abbreviated, DCOM, Disney Channel Original Movie, when we did a long tribute to the entire High School Musical franchise. Well, now we're kind of getting like a Halloween version of that, Halloween Holdover, by covering Zombies 1 and 2, which are also musicals. That's right, and... I think we missed by just a few months, Zombies 3. It looks like I saw somewhere there's going to be a third one. Yeah, it's not out yet, but it's coming soon. So just like Scream 5, we might have to do a follow-up for Zombies 3. Maybe we can do like a a follow-up special, both of them combined or something. Uh, That sounds fun. And just like Scream 5 is going to be dropping in January, these movies premiered not as you might think in October, but rather for Valentine's Day in February. So one came out February 16th, and uh, then Zombies 2 actually dropped on actual Valentine's Day, February 14th. It's interesting. They will talk a little bit more about their overall tone and aesthetic, but I, I think of them more as something that should have been near Halloween than, than Valentine's Day. There's a lot of different ways you can do romance and fewer ways you can do horror in a Disney Channel original movie. Yeah, exactly. We got to talk about like in terms of what zombie movies we've seen, what DCOMs we've seen and where these things fall. Because they're kind of Frankenstein creations. (laughs) So uh, I've spoken before that I do want to at some point consider like an all DCOM month because there's definitely other ones I want to dig into. Same. But for now, I guess let's uh, let's stay in spooky territory while we can, while it's not too egregious uh, to, to stretch it out. What other zombie movies have you seen, Dan? So we've discussed a couple on the podcast. We discussed Night of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead in one episode that 
Return of the Living Dead was actually the main selection of that episode. Um, so I've seen those two, and I have seen Shaun of the Dead. That is a movie that I liked a lot when I was in college, and I hadn't seen since then. But I recently watched, I actually watched it this fall for the first time since then, and still like it quite a bit. And <laughs> that's pretty close to it, to be honest. Um, I would have to revisit, but it's I haven't I haven't hit too many of the other classics or even the non classics. What about you, Brian? So I've seen a fair few zombie movies. I have seen all the Romero entries. So Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. Also, Diary of the Dead is very hard to say without kind of slurring it together and getting <laughs> diarrhea in there. Nobody wants that. No. But I actually saw some parallels between Land of the Dead from 2008 and this film. Interesting. Because um, in that one, it's like uh, the survivors all live in this community that's surrounded by a big fence. And like the rich people live up in a skyscraper and they get to pretend that like there's no zombies out there at all but the poorer people are like up against the wall and they can see all the zombies out there hmm. but i've never seen a zombie movie quite like what we're going to talk about tonight that's that's the truth this is something a little different and that's because this falls more into the supernatural teen romance genre now what what films have you seen or books have you read that might fall into that category? So I have both read and seen the first Twilight, the book and the movie. And man, <laughs> I've dipped my toes. I think of Hunger Games in a similar boat, but that's really not supernatural. That's like dystopia. I'm not sure I've seen too many beyond that. I did read one. Oh man, I don't even remember. One of the ones that's a vampire-themed one, young adult book back in the day. But as far as movies go, I haven't I haven't dug too deep into it. What about you, Brian? Okay, well, Twilight is certainly the seminal text. It's what everything else exploded from or in the wake of due to its popularity. That's when Supernatural Teen Romance got a whole shelf or two at the Borders bookstore. Right. But I think the most relevant one to our discussion today is Warm Bodies, which it sounds like neither of us have actually seen. So maybe we got to cue that one up. But are you familiar with that one? So I am familiar with it. I was actually going to pick it this month, believe it or not, except I knew that you that you were going to pick this. And I didn't want two zombie romance teen films. I think I felt that would have been just a hair redundant. But that is one that definitely piqued my curiosity how do you make a zombie become a romantic object which is obviously something that this movie explores as well if you think about all of the different supernatural things okay vampire there's an inherent sexiness in a vampire vampire stories are typically about sex as an undercurrent and you start going down all the different supernatural things ghosts okay sure i can see ghosts but then you get further and further down and it's it's less and less plausible werewolf definitely zombie mm, not sure about that like zombies yep. as think about really them. really hard to make a zombie sexy you gotta <laughs> i mean the key is that it's a corpse that's rotting <laughs> so 
both of those things should hopefully deter you from sexy thoughts, but you kind of have to really, really remove it from its essence to create a romantic lead who's a zombie, is what we're saying here. Yeah, and it, sure enough, that's what they've done. <laughs> Wonder if there's been any mummy paranormal romance movies. That seems like that one you'd have to go even a little further beyond the zombie one. Interesting. I'll bet it's out there. We got to find I'm it. Just thinking, <laughs> like find a list of all supernatural creatures, quasi-human supernatural creatures, I suppose. Yeah. And so with these things in mind, we're going to dig into Zombies 1 from 2018. Zombies 2 came out in 2020. Both of them were directed and written by the same team. So the director was Paul Hone. And the writers were David Light and Joseph Razzo. And it was based on a book, I guess, that Light and Razzo wrote called Zombies and Cheerleaders. Which honestly is a more apt title for what we get here. The cheerleaders are every bit as prominent as the zombies, at least in this first movie. Definitely. Yeah. One thing I just want to point out up front that will become more and more relevant as we dig into this movie. All three of Paul Hone, David Light, and Joseph Rasso are white men. Yeah. When thinking about this film's perspective on things like diversity, just something to keep in mind. Uh huh. Yeah. So maybe now is the time to lay on the table that this is a story that uses monsters as a metaphor for minorities. That's a setup that's been used a few times in in different media, and it always strikes me as a little weird. And as we go through our our summaries, I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about why. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot to deconstruct there for sure. One other thought, though, about the title Zombies and Cheerleaders. I think maybe this is a case where Disney took the Tangled approach to one of their titles. Because I think back in 2009, they made Princess and the Frog to kind of restore the prominence of their traditional animation wing or something. Just put it out there and, and make it big again. Uh, but I guess it didn't make as much money as they wanted it to. And they speculated, at least in part, that this might be due to having a perceived gendered title and one targeted at girls, you know, that had princess in the title. So if that doesn't make you enough money, what are you going to do when you have Rapunzel coming up next? Oh, you're going to call it Tangled. Just remove any any hint that this is a girl movie up front. And, oh, well, that made, you know, a billion dollars. So if you got Snow Queen coming up next, well, you're not going to call it Snow Queen. You're going to call it Frozen. So if you're making a movie about zombies and cheerleaders, drop the cheerleaders and you'll make more money. You'll make more of a splash. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's what was going on here. OK, I can see that. That's that's my conspiracy theory behind the scenes. Out of the ones you mentioned, the Tangled one is the one that really bothers me. I don't even care about the title of the movie all that much, like whatever, market it, however you want to market it. But every time I watch that movie, which I really like, by the way, I, it's one of my favorites of the, I think it's almost definitely my favorite of the post-Pixar merger Disney movies, maybe up there with Wreck-It Ralph. But I, I really don't like how they shoehorned in this like opening monologue that puts the story 
from Flynn Rider's perspective instead of Rapunzel's perspective when it's very clearly Rapunzel's story. It's like not only did they change the name, but they like had to go out of our way to convince us that no, it's not just a Rapunzel story. And I think that's really stupid and pandering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I concur. Well, the setup for the world we get introduced to in Zombies, uh, we get this preamble, this fourth wall breaking narration right from the start. And we find out that our central town of Seabrook is a place where decades ago there was a lab accident or a, a power plant that exploded. And we hear that it was because somebody spilled lime soda on the console. And this is important because color is important in this film. The series as a whole, but I, I think especially number one. I agree. This whole opening was really weird. And I did not know this was an adaptation of a graphic novel. And as soon as I learned that, I was like, okay, this makes sense. But like, it's a whole chunk of adaptation. I actually wondered if I'd like accidentally turned on Zombies 2. But it's just like, it's like a total, it's like an animated little four minute, not even four minute, probably two minute intro to the, the universe. And I, I felt like it was just kind of a weird way to get things going. But I agree. It is, it's kind of an interesting uh, premise. It feels like the specificity of it. There should have been, we should have seen more of it. Like the whole specific power plant and specific lime soda. I actually like want to see this story, like this version, th this uh, chapter in the, the zombies universe. But I don't think you can do that and still be G-rated. You know, there's some implicit violence in, in the events of a zombie outbreak. That's true. And actually, now that you bring it up, I hadn't thought of it. But like in our Night of the Living Dead episode, I talked about how early on in the movie, the survivors who have come together at the house tell the stories of how they first witnessed the zombie outbreak and how it's like all these cinematic things that they're describing, but not actually showing. And it's because they like didn't have the budget yet to do all those things. Uh, well, here it's it's kind of similar territory, but maybe they don't have the rating to show these things. Yeah. But this explosion kind of washed over part of the town and turned the people in that area to zombies. Real deal brain-eating zombies, I guess. <laughs> but over time, the humans who stayed human were able to corral these zombies behind a wall. And so half of the town has become decrepit, and that's where all the zombies are confined and humans are staying human over on the other side of the wall. But as the decades have passed, I guess the government has found a way to kind of humanize the zombies. They've strapped these things called Z-bands onto their arms, which are like nicotine patches or something. They flood the brain with favorable chemicals that deter the brain lust. Make it so they don't want to eat humans all the time anymore. This whole thing, I don't know. I was trying to wrap my head around it. It's like, in some ways, it's like a disease. It's like you get infected with it. It's a, it's a thing that is a virus in you. But on the other hand, it's also like genetically passed on and inherited. Yeah, they specify that the zombies can sexually reproduce. They don't use those words, but it's really close. <laughs> 
Milo Mannheim, our star as Zed the zombie, is our narrator often. And he says, well, it's been a couple decades. So if you're wondering how there's kids zombies, well, zombies can have kids. <laughs> it's like, oh, all right. I didn't really want to think about that, but I guess that's in my head now. Yeah, think about the boning zombies, Brian. And how do we distinguish these zombies, Dan? <laughs> so this is what, another one of the goofiest things. Like Once you're on a Z-band, you are more or less like indistinguishable from a person. You act and behave like a person. You don't exhibit any parent deviant behaviors. You just happen to be A, kind of poor, and B, much more importantly, you look like the Joker, like Jack Nicholson or Jared Leto. You have bright green hair, like white, palish skin across your whole body. And for whatever reason, you, you only wear purple and dark green, just like the Joker. So I, I guess that's the, the thing that you can't cure about being a zombie is A, your skin and hair and B, your fashion sense. Well, also, zombies have their own language, which heavily features Z words, and they have their own naming convention, which boils down to you have to have a Z in your name. So really, it's the same rules that the Fire Nation uses in Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> you know, you got Sozin and Azula and Zuko and Ozai and Sozin. If I didn't say that one already, maybe I did. Here we have Zed... Eliza and Bonzo. Yeah, we meet a couple others. I think they're all Z. The The other thing is, it's a little bit like in Gravity Falls. There's one episode in the second season where... I've, what's the name of the thing, that, like the competition they go to when they have to time travel? And when they, everything is time blank? Yeah, well, specifically, it's called Globnar since you asked, but <laughs> I don't think that's important. Yeah, I knew you would know. Here, it's everything is zombie something. So it's just funny how many things they call zombie blank. The place they live is zombie land. The language is zombie. They also are beyond the Z's in the names of everything. Like they just happen to wear like clothes that have Z's on them. And at one point they get a football jersey and it's not a number. It's a letter Z. It's just a little over the top. It made me laugh. Your time wish. Everything is time. Here it's zombie. <laughs> but I'm glad that you mentioned their jumpsuits and the colors because this movie, more than any other movie I've ever seen, is so dedicated to its color scheme. Everything in the movie is pink or green. Like on either side of the wall, it's like you shift the saturation. So the zombies all have like desaturated pinks and greens. So it's like a like a reddish, like a rust red and a washed out dark green. And then on the cheerleader side, it's hyper bright neon pink and green. Yeah, the pink is more of like a pastel pink. And the green seems to vary between like a, a lighter mint green. And then you're right, like a bright neon green. And it's like not just the clothes, it's everything in the world. It's like any signage that's printed is going to have those colors, but like the trash cans and then on the zombie side, which as Dan said, the zombies are the poor people. 
they've got like all the garbage that's around them is also pink and green. They have like old rusty bicycles that have like pink and green hues. It's it's really interesting to look at. And like even the plant and man, the production design team on this movie just had a field day. Yeah, I really like it when they have whole crowds of people at the high school, the humans in particular, just all the ways they have these like coralish, pastelish pinks and greens. And then you also get some other pastels. Occasionally there's like some light blues. Yeah, there's also a powder blue that's like part of the school logo that gets reflected in the wardrobe, too. You're right. It's so dedicated just obsessed with its color scheme like that drives the look of literally every single thing i've never seen a disney channel original movie that thought so much about how it actually looked as this and i thought that was really cool yeah it's like more defined by its color scheme than what we called the reddest movie suspiria in our pilot episode it's like i was just constantly aware of color we get introduced early on to our key characters. So it's a teen romance film. You got to have a central couple. Well, I'd say our, our main protagonist, our narrator most of the time, at least in this first one, is the zombie Zed, who's played by Milo Mannheim. He's kind of a charismatic protagonist zombie boy, and he wants to play football because we're starting things off here on the first day of school on the first year that we're going to have an integrated class of zombies going to the human high school. Yeah. A very bizarre plot thread. And one thing I think this movie and much more so the second movie suffer from is it's not always clear, like just how segregated the zombies and the people are. Like sometimes they're mingling together. Sometimes like when you see one and you scream because it's a monster that shouldn't even be in your path. And sometimes it's just somewhere in between. And this whole vibe of like you're integrating, but you're also still kind of not integrated. I mean, it gets uh, teased out a little bit, but it very much leans into this whole we're going to do a big fat racism metaphor for the entire movie. Like, honestly, it's so ridiculous. I just couldn't even take it with a straight face. Like it reads almost to me like a satire of middle brow racism bait movies. Like it's just so stupid. It's like hilariously stupid. And they talk about like zombie intolerance and just, it's like, you got to be trying to be ridiculous. Like nobody plays this stupidity, this straight faced and like actually thinks it's earnestly meaningful to literally anyone on the planet. It's just like, it's, it's so goofy. I don't know. What did you think of this? (laughs) I want to know how you're going to rate this one. (laughs) So I'll say that uh, across the board, the media that use this setup where like they use a monster as a stand-in for a minority and that fear of monsters equals bigotry against minorities. And it's, it's weird to me. There's a couple big examples apart from this. I think of true blood and actually the movie Zootopia where it's not monsters, but predators 
these frame that like at one time the monsters were dangerous, but you know, they've developed a blood substitute or predators don't eat herbivores anymore. So we got to come around and accept them into the fold. But monsters are monsters. Minorities are not actually monsters. And by like equating them, you're saying that like maybe there's some validity to the people who have anti-immigrant arguments or anti-whatever group sentiments because monsters have valid stereotypes monsters actually have a history of eating people and killing people and sucking blood <laughs> and like they have fangs and they are you know they stay up all night and it's they they're clearly different and clearly dangerous whereas minorities aren't monsters like, I think that's the point you're trying to make, but then you're setting it up that maybe they could be. I've been thinking a lot about this since I, I started watching these movies this week, and I think you're basically right. Like, I honestly agree with what you're saying almost completely. I think there is a way to do it that this movie dips its toes into but does not fully embrace, which is, like, frame it from the perspective that like the humans or whatever have been ingrained that monsters are bad and dangerous, but they are not actually dangerous or like the scenarios in which they were dangerous were like horribly misrepresented in some way. I think that has the potential to be slightly less gnarly on a the perspective that you're describing, but I don't think this one, this movie really goes there. And I agree with you. It is, I mean, on, one, on the one hand, like, I, I almost have to detach myself a little bit because, like, it's just zombies. It's it's made up bullshit. And so, like, I don't know. I know I'm the one who typically reads a little bit too much politics into the movies we watch. But it's just fucking zombies, man. Like, it's it's not racism here. It's zombies. So, like, I don't get that too much bent out of shape about it. Although it does try really hard to be about racism as well as zombies. Oh, totally. Uh, so, I mean, it's not just reading into it. Like, it is projecting hard. So, I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds about it. I will say, just to reiterate, that I actually think the fact that it is so stupid about its racial politics in the first one and, like, the things that it's trying to be a metaphor for, that it circles back on being bad to just being, like, goofy. Like, I, like a parody, almost. And so it... it bothered me a little bit less than I honestly expected it to in the first one. And we can see how we feel about the second one there in a minute, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of of a mixed mind about it and we'll, we'll see if, if I can settle that, that angst, that cognitive dissonance before we rate this movie here at the end. Sure. I'm curious, but uh, that's just one half of our central <laughs> love pair. Now we kind of went off into the weeds, but the other member of the pair is Addison, a human girl who lives on the perfect human side, the upscale elite, high class side of the town. She's the uptown girl, to frame it in Billy Joel fan terms. She's the Rose, not the Jack. Yes, indeed. Oh, no, oh man, you're giving away my talking points. But no, this. let's say that this is a class romance <laughs> where it's going to be the poor guy going after the rich girl. Yes, indeed. 
here on first day of school. Remember we said Zed wants to join the football team. Addison wants to join the cheerleading squad. For whatever reason in this world, cheerleading is super important and super prestigious. I like this. This is a fun inversion of your typical high school movie where the football team is like the cultural epicenter of the school. But here it's the cheer team is the alpha dog and the football team is kind of secondary. Yeah, it's like an afterthought. Yeah. And (laughs) I'll say I did like the coach who coaches the football team and is always making these anti-inspirational speeches. (laughs) Yeah, he was fun. Another thing to note is like for all the fact that this movie is about a diversity message the humans themselves are quite diverse. They're like all different races. They are like fairly androgynous, some of them. Like, I don't know if it ever hints at any of them actually being gay or queer or anything like that. But like, given how pink and how like, I guess the football team is all guys, but the cheer team is a mix of boys and girls. It's it's weird. It's like... A diverse utopia minus the zombies before the zombies are let in. Well, I have thoughts about that too, which is that if you make your group that's supposedly racist super diverse, that also kind of defangs your message. And for me, I would say see also the Fantastic Beasts Harry Potter films where it's set up that apparently America in the 1920s is super racist, which okay, valid point, like, yeah, it it was, and, you know, maybe it still is, but, like, a hundred years ago, especially. But they they say, like, wizards from Europe are, like, wary of going to Wizard America because I guess they're, like, extra racist against muggles or something. Huh. Have you seen the Fantastic Beast movies? I saw the first one in theaters, but I haven't seen it since then. I don't remember too much of the specific cultural depiction there i don't know they like stress that america is super intolerant that like the wizards are intolerant of the muggles the muggles are intolerant of the wizards and i didn't really get the full force of that because the president of wizard america is a black woman in the 1920s really so yeah so i i don't know it just seemed diluted and confusing and strange that's interesting yeah i mean there's you know you could say it's racism but from this other angle where the other things that you know matter in the way that we see racism don't matter in that it's like a different metric they're using but when you're like trying to comment on something that does exist a certain way in the world that we know it's kind of hard to see it from that other direction. Yeah, I don't know. I see what you're saying. It like it like further takes the group that you're depicting and makes them seem, I don't, I don't know, makes their like poor treatment even more dehumanizing and weird. It is bizarre. I, I can see why you think that. Yeah, I don't know. Just unusual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a slight pivot. You mentioned at this point we've met Addison and we're at the high school. I wanted to bring up and see if you saw this connection at all. The way that like high school and the s- suburban homes of the humans is like this 
almost creepy utopia dystopia with like the bright colors and everything in perfect order and like very clear geometry of everything. It made me think of a movie I don't think I've seen since college, but like this design also stuck exactly in my head. And that is Edward Scissor's hands. Yep. I think there's a lot of Tim Burton in this movie. Like I think they watched a lot of Tim Burton movies before they made this. Yeah, when you said pastel suburbia, or I guess you didn't say that, but that's the houses that we see. And I certainly associated that with Edward Scissorhands, too. Gotcha. And how you've got the guy coming from his, like, goth Tim Burton land to his super pastel suburban Tim Burton land. And he's going to be a fish out of water. Yeah. And I mean, I still think the, the zombies look just like Jack Nicholson's Joker. So there's another Tim Burton connection it actually made me wish that zombie land which here is kind of like a quaint city block that's just a little bit lower income i was wondering if it was it would be interesting if it went like full on freaky gothic architecture for the zombie area kind of like the buildings in the tim burton batman movie neat yeah i like that so there are songs in these movies they are musicals (laughs) um just thinking about maybe like the first third of the movie and yeah and you can comment more broadly but overall what did you think of the songs in this first film dan to me they are a little bit homogenous they don't really stand out all that much there's a lot of earworms and a couple of highlights and one or two lowlights just in general across the whole movie One interesting thing I liked, I I did like the opener in this one. It's called, I don't know what it's actually called, but the chorus is, this is going to be my year. The one thing I liked about this that I don't know if they were, (laughs) if this was in their head when they were writing this song, but there's a a really lovely and to me iconic song from the late 60s called, I think it's called This Will Be Our Year, This Will Be Our Year by a band called The Zombies. And I was like, oh, this is going to be my year from the movie Zombies versus this will be our year by the band the zombies the songs are nothing alike but that was something that crossed my brain oh i like that and i would say the style is very pop focused you know modern pop focused very heavily produced and sounding like something that could be played on the radio less traditional musical type song Mm -hmm. show toony sure i can see that i'll say that across the board the choreography is like insanely good. Like I would give eight out of eight if the only element we were talking about was choreography and I guess throw color design in there too. Eight out of eight for the colors. But then like a lot of the songs are pretty forgettable and they kind of all run together. Yeah, I agree. But I will say that the song when Addison is trying out for the cheer squad is called Fired Up. Mm -hmm. And... I really like this one. Like it does, it it pumps you up and it's just paired with this great choreography where they're doing the cheer routine and uh, what's going on in this scene is Bucky, Addison's cousin, who's going to be what serves as a villain in this first movie. He's the uh, tyrannical cheer squad leader. During this scene, he's axing potential cheer recruits who aren't keeping up with the routine like they'll take one step out of line and then he'll come over and rip up the little numbered card that they have on their chest to signify that they're out of the running and 
what this made me see the potential for was a Squid Game musical. <laughs> I know I, I talked about it uh, to Dan a bunch. I think I've only name dropped it in one episode so far, and it's a, it's a couple weeks past its debut now, so it's out of the Netflix vogue. But I I really dug the hell out of Squid Game. This same setup of like a bunch of numbered participants competing in some contest and then being eliminated one by one in this sort of garish, you know, technicolor wonderland. Mm -hmm. It just made me wonder, okay, do this. But when you rip up the number, also shoot them with a machine gun. (laughs) Like uh, the music video, This Is America. Yeah, I think the song that the movie thinks is its best song because it reprises it multiple times across it the series is what serves the role of the romantic ballad Mm -hmm. which is someday and i i really love the i mean you mentioned the choreography in general is quite good but this one particular scene has um some really cool stuff going on with it they're like dancing and it's like a is it a lab or like a closet or something like that yeah so early on the zombies are going to the human school now, but they have to stay down in the basement. So it's like still half segregated. Early on, Addison runs into Zed in this like zombie panic room that's off to the side somewhere. It's like you're supposed to go there and I guess the zombies can't get in, except he's already in there. So it doesn't work very well. Yeah, it's kind of odd. But you said you like this song. Yes. So this song itself, so the, the chorus is someday this could be ordinary. So... Zombies and humans fraternizing and someday we could be extraordinary or something like that. Like they could be a couple. So I have a thought about that, too, just to interject is, well, what do you want? Do you want to be ordinary or do you want to be extraordinary? Because they're (laughs) opposites. Yeah, I don't know. I I guess you could have like an extraordinary romance, but having the nature of a romance be ordinary. Okay. All right. I'll accept that. But this this scene's got some really cool effects going on. It like it cribs portions of the thriller dance and they're like have these props that are going on as part of the dance. And they have just a couple of like cute things. He goes behind a screen and so you see him as a shadow and he like makes a kind of impromptu disco light when he like spins like a little piece of lab equipment over a light or like maybe it's a kitchen equipment or something i'm not sure it's like a colander that he spins over a light yeah i will say that this song was the first thing i came across from this movie just watching the someday clip on youtube okay yeah and it it made me want to watch the movie because milo Mannheim has a lot of charisma he was on dancing with the stars I think it's kind of unfair for somebody who's already a dancer to go on Dancing with the Stars, but <laughs> right. he's good at it. And he's really tall, like taller than you would expect a dancer to be. But he's got some moves. Yeah. yeah this scene is legit. Like everything about it, like the, the way they use all the props together into the choreography. The choreography itself is like really creative. It's not like super acrobatic, but it's creative and fun. They just have good chemistry and they're both charming. And you're right. Milo Mannheim or whatever this guy is he's like moving all around very great it almost makes me think of like a classical musical how graceful and charming he is as opposed to like a Zac Efron type you know he's kind of more of like a he's like Gene Kelly if you stretched him out right right something like that um I also in the scene he's got this green jacket with a, a z that looks like a letterman's jacket but it's like a kind of lightweight jacket it's not like a heavy leather jacket and I really want this jacket. Give me this jacket. It's a cool dark green color, too. 
Now, that actually begs the question, Dan, who is more of a zombie? <laughs> Zed in this film or you on Count Gauntley's Horrors from the Public Domain? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I, I appeared on Brian's old TV show as a zombie character, maybe, I don't know, between a half dozen and a dozen times on the show. And one character trait that got added to me partway through is that I was a zombie. And I had a few zombie-ish moments. Sometimes me being a zombie was basically what Zed is here, which is just I had some fancy makeup on, or not even fancy makeup on, but something that would distinguish me. I would say I would have given me the edge, except for the moments where they let Zed zombie out down the line in this film towards the climax. Yeah, yeah, because remember, Zed wants to join the football team, uh, but at first they're not going to let any zombies go out for any clubs. They got to stay down in the basement, but at football rehearsal that's going on, I guess they don't they don't call it rehearsal. It's practice. <laughs> that shows how much I know about sports. <laughs> football practice. Yeah. Zed is like wandering by, and I think Addison's fallen off a pyramid or something. He's got to go do a dramatic catch, but something happens where his Z band gets damaged, and so he gets a little surge of his zombie roots coming through and apparently this gives him like super strength so not what i would think of again as a zombie he's he's kind of like the hulk but it makes him super strong when the z-band's not going at full force so he like tackles through a bunch of the existing football players and the school authorities see this and they see the possibility that maybe they're gonna have their first ever winning football season and Zed says, okay, I'll come and be your football star if you let zombies fully integrate. So it's like, hmm, you have this minority sports star who's going to be a civil rights trailblazer because he's good at the sport. So they're really making this about race stuff. Yeah. It's there. No, I, I agree. Obviously, that is paralleled by the fact that in high school, but especially college sports, students of color, particularly black students, are disproportionately the athletes, and especially at like D1 schools where colleges make millions and millions of dollars and the students themselves cannot actually profit off their image or take any money as salary. And the older I've gotten, the ookier that has felt as a setup for me. I know it's kind of an ongoing debate type thing, but yeah, this uh, movie kind of cashes in on that conflict a little bit, but instead of making it about money, making it about inclusion as like the currency by which he tries to negotiate his his athletic prowess. I actually think that could have been interesting if they had leaned into that a little bit more. And I have some proposed rewrites for this we'll get to at the end, but that I think is something they could have mined for a little bit more conflict and juice. True. But I want to make sure that we talk about two also. So we're going to keep things moving here. Sure, sure. But now Zed has to like routinely tamper with his Z-band and turn it down a little bit whenever he's going to be on the football field so that his brute strength can come out and he can win the football game. What has allowed him to tinker with the band is his zombie friend Eliza is a hacker in addition to being like a feminist activist in favor of zombie rights. But uh, she has the, the power through her computer to, like, jailbreak these bands. But we just know from the start that eventually something's going to go wrong. Because, like, just messing with it is causing him gradually increasing discomfort. 
and like it's becoming more unstable. So we know eventually this thing is going to break down and we're going to get full zombie. It's waiting in the wings. Chekhov's Z-band. Yeah. Yeah. But kind of interestingly, Zed can also turn the knob the other way and completely de-zombify himself. He could just make himself a human, which we don't see for very long. But it's like, if you could do that and zombies were inclined to do that, it seems like all your problems go away, potentially. This was so stupid. Like, I could see this being maybe a thing. Do what Shrek did. Have the second one be. Exactly. It's a Shrek 2 situation. Yeah. Bring it in. Bring it into the sequel. And like, oh, maybe there's a new technology that lets zombies be human. But do they really want to shed all the things that are their culture and become a human if it means they'd be more included? That to me is is a potent theme for a sequel. I wish they had just kind of hand waved that in one scene in the whole goddamn movie here. I thought that was so stupid. Yeah, and then they kind of forget about it. He just does it all of a sudden so that he can get into human town and see Addison and meet her parents. By the way, her parents are the mayor of the town and the lead anti-zombie cop. <laughs> so it's like, wow, a lot of pressure there. Yeah. And what the hell? How does this Z-band make his skin color change and his hair change? And like on a moment's notice and then, oh, turn it back and uh, his skin color is re-undone back into zombie mode. It doesn't make any sense. No, that that was dumb. But once he's got Addison now out of the human area, he's going to take her to a zombie party. So this is the party below decks from Titanic. Definitely. I love this scene. The colors, they just ramped up to 11. They like shot it as like a industrial club with like these weird black lights, neon lights. And the zombies are all in there, you know, and Addison is wearing her like light coral pink in contrast to the like darker purple greens. And there's like all these weird things with the lighting and the architecture and the dancing. That's just like real interesting and way more compelling than most TV movies in terms of like production values and visual impact. That I've ever seen. This for me was the peak moment of amazing choreography, amazing set design, totally forgettable song. <laughs> like it's this hip hop thing where it's kind of like a rap, but they just keep saying you're in zombie land like over and over. And it's like, we know we're in zombie land. <laughs> we're, we've established that. Move on. Contribute something original. <laughs> but the dance is cool. Yeah, they're doing this thing where they throw themselves up in the air and then come straight down on their backs and like the backs of their heads on the ground. So I guess the ground is some kind of like trampoline because they spring back up. But like every time they did this move, I had like a shock of existential dread. Like this is just <laughs> going to be a mortal injury. Yeah, <laughs> like this is not something you could do on normal ground. And then they put on these reflective like poncho coats. And they're dancing around with like these weird neon black lights and all the characters. I don't know where they got these things. They're like all put on these reflective coat things that just adds to like the it's almost hallucinatory at that point. Yeah, it becomes like a Daft Punk video. They yeah. pull out these like big building blocks with symbols on them and they all have this like LED tube lighting running through them. So really psychedelic. 
and the setting itself is kind of steampunky. They got like pipes and wires and cables and like steam shooting out of stuff. It's neat. Yeah, I like this part. But meanwhile, Bucky, the cheer captain, has been scheming because he hates monsters. He's Mr. Xenophobic, and he doesn't like that Zed has begun to become more popular through the rising success of the football team. And so Bucky has this team of like cheer toady spies that he sends to follow around the zombies and they discover the secret that Zed has been hacking his Z band, which, uh, you know, you said that uh, forest of feelings was a goofy thing. Every time you had to say it back in our care bears episode, well, hacking your Z band <laughs> is something I, I don't think I'll ever be able to say comfortably without <laughs> wincing a bit. It sounds like a euphemism but for something. It's, it's very important crucial to the plot of this film to talk about hacking the z-band <laughs> i guess there's some hackers on the cheer team too because bucky gains this power to manipulate the z levels and at an inopportune moment triggers zed and his friends to go full zombie and so for just a moment we do have these rampaging zombies where when the when the band goes off they like still don't look like what I would think of as a zombie, but they get, like, super veiny. They get throbbing veins all over them. Yeah, it's... It makes me think... Well, I think Hulk is a good comparison. It behaves quite a bit like the Hulk does, where they can't control themselves, and that's, like, even a point of drama, is, like, can they control themselves? Restrain themselves from violence? Which, you know, I think adds to some of the troublesome... <laughs> problematic elements here but anyways i think that's apt i think it could be somewhat comparable to like um not a traditional zombie but like a fast and smart zombie kind of almost like orc-like creatures from lord of the rings too it made me think of a little bit like just these big veiny muscular they get kind of like ugly and intense i don't know and i think they like amp up the eye shadow when they're in zombie mode too Oh, definitely. It kind of all, like, comes from the eyes. It, like, starts at the eyes and goes through the rest of their bodies almost. But they get taken away by the zombie patrol, the zombie cops. But Addison has had enough. She finds out that it was Bucky who triggered this outbreak. Because something we've not mentioned yet is that Addison is not a totally normal human. Because she has white hair. In the words of Daryl Heine describing Sally Sachet, the disco skunk. What is that? She's been, uh, sorry, say again. What is that? <laughs> well, in our Rockafire episode, which just go back to that one for some context. But we mentioned a YouTuber who is very deep into the history of Chuck E. Cheese animatronics. And one of the ones you don't see very often was Sally Sachet, the disco skunk. But uh, <laughs> definitely the white hair was making me think of it, especially in the second one where you've got people with white striped hair mm, yeah, who dance, not always to disco. But, but as far as I'm concerned, the werewolves, these were not werewolves. Well, I mean, we're not even there yet, but they were more of disco skunks to me. <laughs> Anyhow, Addison has this white hair and she's been hiding it Elsa style under a blonde wig. 
we don't know what the white hair means. We we don't find out yet, and we'll see ultimately when we find this out. It's kind of weird that her natural, or like her fake hair color is light blonde, but underneath it, it's white, which is like, I mean, there it's noticeable the difference between them, but it kind of feels like if you were gonna have that be a big secret thing, you'd do more than like one and a half shades different from the hair color you're projecting out in the world to make the reveal a little bit more dramatic, you know? Yeah, yeah. So she stands up and she reveals that Bucky sabotaged the zombies and she also reveals, I'm not a human because I have white hair, which I guess those are mutually exclusive. (laughs) And, you know, she's a really good cheerleader, so she's able to get people on her side quickly. But Bucky retaliates by purging the squad. He cuts out everybody who is sympathetic to Addison and the zombies, which leaves him with a very small cheer squad. So they go off to the cheer tournament that's been building towards, and they're not able to do well because there's basically nobody on the team anymore. But a group of zombies comes in, led by a character we haven't mentioned yet who's Zed's little sister, who is also a zombie, wants to be a cheerleader, I guess, just kind of inspires them to work together and kind of bolster Bucky up and just show that zombies can be cheerleaders too, I guess. <laughs> and they, they they come together in, I guess, what's supposed to be an all-in-this-together moment from High School Musical. Doesn't land quite the same way, but we get some more good choreography. They do pull off a cheer routine. Yet it ultimately doesn't win the contest, so I I don't know. But they've come together now. Right. It's almost it's it's halfway between the breaking free and the we're all in this together. Because they also have a, a block party shortly afterwards. Oh yeah. It's a commingling at that point. Exactly. Because uh Addison and Zed declare their love for each other in zombie language. It's like Aga Gaza! Or something, <laughs> something along those lines. Gaza is definitely in there somewhere. And then an epilogue shows the zombie gates being opened. And now the towns are going to be joined. And sure enough, they have a block party. Oh, the uh, the zombie family's last name is Necrodopolis, which I kind of like. <laughs> they don't say it. They don't say it maybe two times over the course of both movies, but... I didn't know that. I didn't catch that one. I like that. Zed Necrodopolis. <laughs> I just love the the overall feeling of like heightened parody here. Like the the team mascot is the shrimp. And to me that kind of shows the tone that they're they're taking with all of this. Yeah, but it ties in more of that great pink color. Exactly, that's true. And yeah, but yeah, the team is the mighty shrimp. <laughs> like when people are getting axed from the cheer auditions. One of the cheerleaders yells, you'll never be a shrimp. <laughs> so I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Are we ready to talk about Zombies 2 and how the story continues? I feel as if we've already talked quite a bit about Zombies 1 and I know we want to talk about Zombies 2. I have a, just a few brief appending thoughts here. Oh, please go ahead. So one is I wrote down some of the stupidest quotes that seemed to be like, lunging at the metaphor of racism in this movie. So I'm just going to read through a couple of them. So one is Addison notes, are zombies always this harassed? And she, she observed zombies need to be students at Seabrook too. 
Let's see. Oh, Bucky, he's the bad guy. He says, we all know zombies distract people from what's really important. Addison later, she declares, I'm fighting against intolerance. It's like when things are this surface level, I just can't take it seriously. I don't know. Man, I want a t-shirt that says our zombies always this harassed. (laughs) And Zed, when he's playing football, if I don't win, then the zombies won't be accepted. Bucky laying his racism on the line. You're either pro cheerleader or pro zombie. What's it going to be? And after the zombies are kind of uh, starting to get integrated, Addison declares, I'm cheering. I'm cheering for a change, Bucky. So this is kind of the level of of dialogue we're dealing with in this film. The big line for me that stuck out near the end was Zed says, I'm a zombie, not a monster. (laughs) Anything else you wanted to call out before we continue the saga? I have a uh, proposed... I didn't do a rewrite of Zombies 2, only of Zombies 1. Do you want me to to share that one now? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Because obviously Zombies 2 is a perfect film, so nothing to change. (laughs) Yeah. So here's how I... if, If I were given the script and, you know, just told, make this story more interesting, here's what I would do. So rather than, like, having it be the first day of zombie integration with humans, I think we should... It should be established that they're already at the school... But the school itself is thoroughly segregated. Give us this baseline, this kind of like uh, normal that we're we're already our characters are already used to, where they're separated. And they, there's this image they use a couple times of like the fence between the way that the zombies go into the school and the humans go into the school. I like that image. I thought that was pretty potent. I want more of that as we kind of establish what this reality is between zombies and humans at the beginning. I still think the the kickoff thing here is Zed wanting to join the football team. But now if it's like, hey, zombies never do those things. Zombies are always segregated. The cadence of it, like aligning with the first day of school, also being the first day of integration, gives it a little bit more oomph, a little more potency to it, or a little more power to it. I also think Bucky the villain, this, this Shia LaBeouf looking MF, I think he needs to be more interesting and I think he needs to have a little bit more backstory with why he doesn't like zombies. Like maybe, maybe it's hinted at, I can't remember in this movie, but he should have something like where parents died in the zombie uprising or like something that's hinted at. It doesn't need to be too dark, but some reason that he dislikes zombies because here he's just kind of conceited and bigoted. Like I, I feel like if you give that more of a motivation that could have been, more interesting as a villain and give him more room to learn and grow. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Something we didn't say is that by this point in the timeline, the zombies don't eat brains. They eat brain flavored cauliflower. Yeah, that that, that was pretty funny, which does kind of look brainish. And I don't know. I guess I do know what brain texture is like because I've eaten brains on your TV show, but I don't think of it as very brain textured. Maybe if it's boiled a lot. No. And then, so here's the next thing. Give us a little bit more setup on the principal being really desperate to win the football championship because that just kind of comes out and that's like, okay, we didn't know that she cared about that, but I guess she does care about that. Have that be like more of her driving force and maybe she wants to win it for both football and cheer trophies this year and maybe make this football coach have just a little bit more of a character like he's a new coach and she's like desperate for him to figure out how to pull it off to win this championship. And so then 
when he sneaks out to go to the tryouts, which is like when they have the meet cute Addison and Zed still have that, but have this be the moment where the coach sees Zed uh, like being super strong because maybe like the humans, the, the zombie alarm gets set off. Addison and Zed have their meat cute, but then the humans discover Zed and like tackle him. And when they tackle him to like get him back into where he needs to be down in his basement or whatever, they bust his, his Z band. And so instead of like hacking the Z band, now you don't have to say this anymore. The Z band is now, it's just busted because it got, it got slammed down into the ground. Racism itself destroyed the Z band. That's so that's why he's occasionally going into zombie mode here. And then instead of like having it all happen in one game, you can have him like become a a rising star. And as he becomes more and more of a rising star, he demands more and more inclusion of the zombies. And one thing I liked, but they didn't use very much is this idea that zombies are really afraid of fire because fire has historically been used to repress and fight off zombies. So there's a thing where uh, what's his name? It's not Gonzo Bonzo. He gets like scared of fire and that like triggers something. I think they need to use this one, this a little bit more. You can still have like the, the scene. Okay. Zed has, has negotiated. Zombies can go to pep rallies, still have the scene where like they use fire. The cheerleaders use fire, but this is actually going to set off a Chekhov's gun that I think could be used in the, the climax here. And it makes, it makes Bonzo go mad. Zed still saves Addison here, kind of cementing their, uh, their romance. But instead of in the end having it be like this cheerleaders doing this sabotage, maybe like Z band or Zed's Z band finally busts just as he wins the game and he goes full on crazy zombie and Bucky pulls out that same torch that he used at the pep rally and uses it to like scare off zombie Zed. And at this point, all of the integrated zombies, like the the whole community, this sitting in the stands with the humans. It seems like integration is going well, but when Bucky pulls out the fire, all the zombies start to go crazy. And this sets off like a, a total incident where the zombies get rushed back to the, on the other side of the fence. They all the, the good, goodwill is undone. And then here's the thing that I think should be the climax rather than just like, Hey, we're going to do the cheer championship together and we'll all be happy. This seems like to be the new normal and Zed and Addison meet at that fence again and they like reach their hands through the fence to hold hands and at that moment Addison pulls off the z-band and Zed goes full-on crazy mode zombie mode and together they tear down the actual fence between the zombies and the humans they basically like instigate this, I don't even know where it goes from here, but I like the image of that, like them reaching their hands together through the fence and then collectively tearing the fence down together. And eventually some sort of peace is restored. And that is how the zombies find integration at the end of Zombies 1, not by doing a cheer competition together, but through something that would more closely resemble a riot than a, a cheer competition. Oh, man, that's the Malcolm X zombie there. Yeah. By any means necessary. So... I don't know. I, I'm with you that the cheer scene as the the conclusion, as the climax, did did not work for me. And the one thing that I, I think would be cool is like if you toured, if you had that scene where you tear down the fence and maybe you have like the two versions of the pink and the green like bleed together somehow in like the lighting or maybe like, I don't know, paint or something is like 
together. I, I have in my head this image of, of all of those colors kind of swirling together amidst the, oh, it's got to be raining, too. That's got to be part of it, too. So, yeah, that that's my rewrite of Zombies 1. I like it. All right. I, like I said, I don't have one for Zombies 2, so we can we can pivot right along to the sequel now. But Zombies 1 ended on a happy note. <laughs> Things have pretty much worked out. They've solved racism. The The world is one big happy family now. There's no more walls. But now we run into the sequel problem, because where do you go from happily ever after? Well, the answer they came up with was create a new group to be racist against. <laughs> because we get another comic book intro scene for Zombies 2, where we hear the story of how the Seabrook settlers had imposed on native land where there was this other group of mysterious creatures who had lived there before. And it was these forest dwelling monsters and they don't name drop what they are right at the start, but pretty soon we find out that these are werewolves that had lived on the land and now hide out in the forests around the town. Also, part of the story is that I guess the, the wolves are connected to this thing called the Moonstone. So there wasn't really a MacGuffin in Zombies 1, but here we're going to be thinking and talking a lot about the Moonstone, which is this big, like, gem of power that was stolen away by the settlers from the werewolves. Still, though, the werewolves have, like, little pieces of it that they draw their wolf powers from or something, or it, it keeps them alive. It is far too much mythology for me. Too much. It was like a sci-fi special. I was like, the first zombies is, hey, the the zombies are dressed like the Joker and they have dark pink and green. And the humans, well, they live in a perfect suburban utopia and they're light pink and light green. What would happen if they went to the same school together? Like, that's the extent of the quote-unquote mythology. I guess you have the Z-bands as well. But like, this was, I, I was like, my eyes were glazing over as they were like exploring the mythology that the lore of the Z-bands and the ancient land and what is this power plant actually built around and stuff. It was it was a bit of a shift for me. Yeah, it starts us off on a different foot. But then after this prologue, we're in the present where, of course, zombie and human relations have blossomed. We have this utopia now. And Addison and Zed are making plans to attend Prawn which is the shrimp-themed prom. <laughs> I liked this quite a bit, because the whole rest of the movie, it's just prawn over and over. <laughs> yes. I, I feel like I would have gotten tired saying that if I was an actor on that, that cast. I think I just would have been getting it wrong. I would slip <laughs> up and say prom, but no, prawn, prawn, prawn. Mm-hmm. And we do see some scenes early on of the humans and zombies coexisting. For instance, Addison is leading a team at the cheer camp, which I couldn't really tell if this was over the summer because usually prom is like in the spring. So maybe this is like a week long camp over spring break or something like in April. That's a good point. I, I don't know. Um, but she's she's leading a team that's like half human, half zombie of cheerleaders. More convoluted story stuff because Bucky decides that he's going to run to be the school president 
And I guess you can't wear two hats at this school because if he becomes the president, he's not going to be able to be the cheer captain anymore. And oh, who's going to take over as the cheer captain? It's not really like there's a lot of contenders. Addison wants it and you know it's going to be Addison. <laughs> but I guess what complicates this is that suddenly these werewolves show up in the town. They're not just in the forest anymore. So the humans regress and they declare all the old anti-monster laws are back on again, which I guess you can just do. And so now the zombies are, are cut out again. They're on the fringes again, which means they can't go to prawn. <laughs> and so Zed says, oh, well, I'll run for president and I'll win us our rights back. But like if Zed becomes the president, then Bucky's still going to be the cheer captain so only one of Zed and Addison's dreams can come true here in this scenario, which is complicated. Yeah, I didn't understand. I just could not get over how when they instituted these new anti-monster laws, like it seemed like the only impact was they couldn't go to prawn. Like they can still run for president, still go to school. Didn't really seem to have much more than to like kind of drive that conflict in the way that it impacted the world. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. How can he still run for president if the rules are on? But yeah, good, good point. And like, they're still in, I think at this point, uh, Bonzo's like in a band or he's on the cheer team. I don't know. He's always around and he's still like doing activities and stuff. True. Yeah, it was just not very clear to me. Oh, and by the way, Zombies 1 was a football movie, so appropriate for November. This is going to be an election movie, so also November appropriate. There you go. Now Zed is going around trying to win over contingencies of voters, just uh, secure various voter blocks to support him in the election. And so he goes and reaches out to the werewolves, who we haven't talked about very much. What do these werewolves look like? Yeah, so... The werewolves, I, I didn't like them <laughs> for a few reasons, but I did not like the way that they disrupted the color palette of the film. Oh, totally. Just completely ruined, well, not ruined, just uh, torpedoed, I guess. The, yeah, now it's just a Twilight movie. Now there's like yeah. darkness and the moon everywhere. I know that that like cheap Twilight knockoff is exactly what I have in my notes here. They look kind of like they are Native Americans, like they wear furs and stuff. And I think almost all of them are brown or black. They're not they're not white people. And so I think we're supposed to like and the whole premise of like being on a native land or whatever definitely evokes. Right. Well, there's a there is a white person. But yeah, no, it's it's another case where like having the group be racially diverse. I don't know. It kind of dilutes. Yeah your message a little bit because they're supposed to be like a native group who was there before generally i mean if they're native to one spot like integration happens when people kind of branch out from their different spots so if this is the native group you would expect homogeneity um but here we are and i would say the other kind of defining visual characteristics they have this like uh bluish purplish color but also like this yellowish, like their eyes glow yellow when their moonstone activates. They also all have frizzy hair kind of, but the distinctive thing about their hair is they all have a bleach 
looking streak in their hair, like a white streak in their hair. Indeed. And who have we seen so far who has unexplained white hair? It's Addison. Addison, of course. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so maybe now we're going to get to the bottom of that. And, And sure enough, like the most prominent male werewolf is of the opinion that the white hair indicates that Addison is the prophesied alpha or some kind of special alpha, right? It's the, uh, the great alpha, I think. I don't know. That's right. The great alpha. They don't explain what that means, really. I guess it's the person who will find the moonstone. I don't know if it's anything beyond that. Yeah, it'll like restore them to their moonstone. So they give her a piece of moonstone and they say, if you put this on, you'll become a werewolf. You'll be one of us. At least, you know, if you really are the alpha, that's what'll happen. And she says, let me think about it. But to step back a minute, when Zed approaches these werewolves to ask them to vote for him, he pitches his view of how monsters and humans should coexist in society. (laughs) It's called Do Like the Zombies Do. (laughs) He essentially says that zombies have become welcomed into human society because they are always docile and subservient and well-behaved and they just assimilate completely into superior human culture (laughs) so (laughs) this is the movie where we get something that i never expected which is the zombie as model minority (laughs) zed is an uncle zom if you will (laughs) He's, he's saying you gotta bow and scrape to the humans and they'll let you like live in the house or something. I don't know. It's there. It's a there's a little more to it. You're right. There's like a strong current of that, but it's also like he's trying to become president and like lead the zombies out. So not just assimilate, but like the way that he wins over the humans. I don't know. It's like where the first movie is just so bald faced, stupid on the surface about what it's trying to do. This one has like grayness to it. And I agree. Like, I think that it's definitely evoking that intentionally in what Zed is doing where like, yeah, he, you know, I like the uncle Zom line. That's good. But also he is like the person out there fighting for quote unquote monster rights. And it's, he gets annoyed when the werewolves do things that like make quote unquote monster rights regress. And so, like, I don't know, it's it's not strictly that he's kind of uh, kowtowing or kowtowing or whatever that word is to the humans, pandering to them, but he's kind of got this this nuanced thing going on that I was like, oh, this, this movie's at least trying to be a little more shaded in in the things it's doing. No, that's a good point. He's He's got a goal that he's fighting for, but I, part of his campaign is he's also got this like human washed campaign poster where he's you know it's zed's head on the vote for me poster but he's basically in full-on dz mode where he's got the (laughs) he doesn't look like the joker anymore he's just human boy on the poster Mm -hmm. so he's he's entering into self-loathing zombie territory right but meanwhile 
since this possibility has been raised that Addison could be a part of, and indeed the leader of the werewolf pack, she is eager to embrace her monster nature. She's like, oh, I'm a monster? That's awesome. But Zed really doesn't want to be a monster. He wants to fit in. And so now this is going to be a wedge driven between them. It doesn't help that lead werewolf guy is kind of dreamy and his his hair is ruffled just so, so that, that you could see a girl like Addison falling for him. Yeah, but Zed was way taller, so <laughs> I, I never really saw a threat. And the guy had goofy fake teeth, so. Yeah, the, the fake teeth were a bridge too far for me. I don't know, in general, the werewolves, they never quite clicked with what really was like a unified presentation and tone in the, the first movie. And I never quite got over it. And they're not in the title. They're not in the title. I mean, the cheerleaders weren't, but like, I could accept that. But when you got a whole other type of monster in there, like, yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of wanted some warning. But Addison is mulling over putting this shard of moonstone on that she's been given and fully joining the wolf crew. But Zed fears this, and so he snatches it away from her without her noticing. And, and so he's got this thing, keeping it away from her. And going about his presidential campaign. We do, though, get a scene of her hanging out in the wolf den. And Addison gets a werewolf makeover that's kind of cool. I love this. And it's it's shot so weird, too. Like, she, like, squats down and stands back up. And all of a sudden, she's, like, in leather and furs. And her hair is frizzed out. And I was digging it. I thought it was pretty funny. And what I like is that, like, all throughout the day now, this is what she looks like. And she goes back home to her elite upper crust parents yeah <laughs> they say um did you join a rock band <laughs> that was a good gag it, it's like a phase you know the the stereotypical teen has a phase thing where she dresses up like a certain friend group she fell into for like a week or whatever yeah but like also tied to this ludicrous secret moonstone from the prophesied werewolves whatever story i thought that was a funny contrast <laughs> but yeah now she's going to be werewolf queen while zed just wants to fit in with the humans and be unremarkable but zed is running for class president we get this scene where he does a presidential debate against bucky and something i'll say is that the songs the music in zombies 2 was more forgettable even than the music in zombies 1 for the most part yeah, I agree. And some of the songs that we do get just felt like very thinly veiled ripoffs of existing songs. Like the Do It Like the Zombies Do was Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. Oh, yeah, totally. That was my favorite song. It, just, in the... it was Uptown Funk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really like Uptown Funk. And so I liked it uh, when he was singing and it was like jamming out to... It's got like the funk screech or whatever you call that noise that's going on in Uptown Funk. Mm -hmm. I, I, I dug it. And then this one, the debate song, is the uh, cabinet rap battle from Hamilton. Yes, that was fun too. But Zed is secured like a victorious edge in this debate, and it seems like he's going to carry the election. But all of a sudden, the Moonstone Shard, which we've heard like disables electronics presses up against his Z-band, and, oh no, monstrous 
zombied out Zed is loose again. And this is enough to lose him the election, I guess. That, oh no, he's still a monster. He he ran on this platform that zombies are just like you. And it turns out they're not. So he tanked in the polls. Of course, now Addison shortly thereafter discovers that he stole this shard from her. And now she wants nothing to do with him. You always got to have that moment where the guy lies and then the girl finds out about the lie. A lot of movies where that happens. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a trope. I liked how he had an out, but he still came clean. You need your your hero to still maintain their dignity. It's like it's a thing where she's like, oh, you found it for me. Thank you so much. And he could have just given it to her and been done with it. But he, he fesses up. And so that does indeed result in a conflict between them. Oh, good point. But Addison's got the shard back. And she joins her werewolf crew and puts it on. And whatever it was supposed to do, it doesn't do it. Because I guess she's not a werewolf. That's not what the white hair means. So yet again, we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait to find out what this means. I feel like that storyline was missing a, hey, guess what, Addison? You're actually adopted moment. Because like, why would she think she's a werewolf? Like, I guess we don't really get an explanation of like, how one becomes a werewolf in general. They're like the people who were originally there, I guess. But like, why would she possibly think that she's a werewolf? There was actually a line in the movie and she says, maybe a grandmother. Like, like maybe she's got some obscure werewolf relative because yeah, it's, it's weird because the werewolves call each other like brother and sister. (laughs) And again, they're supposed to be this native group. So like, Apparently it's genetic, but they don't look anything alike. And I I don't know. I'm not to tread into whatever waters, but ostensibly they're related somehow. But she's not one of them. She's not a werewolf. She's some other kind of thing that has white hair. That's all we know so far. Sure. I mean, it could just be a genetic condition. I guess like they play up that it can't be dyed or whatever. So it's got to be magical in some way. But like what? That's a thing that happens. People's hair, there's weird genetic things with your pigment. It happens. It yeah. be a birth defect. Yeah, it's not called being a werewolf. It's called albinism. <laughs> but as all this is going on, there's a storyline that Zed's dad has like gotten a promotion. And so now he's the head of a demolition company. And one of their big projects is they're going to tear down the old Seabrook power plant, which as we know, was the birthplace of zombie kind, because this is where the explosion came from that created the zombies and washed everybody with lime soda and made them jokers. (laughs) But uh, I guess it's just an eyesore now. They're going to tear it down. But in what I thought was kind of a cool retcon, they explain that the power source that drives the power plant is actually the moonstone that's tied to the werewolves. So this is actually like, you know, it's the way that Jerusalem is sacred to like Jews and Muslims and Christians is the way this power plant is for the humans and zombies and werewolves. Oh, that's interesting. So the movie played this as a reveal when I thought this was like basically revealed in the opening clip. They're like, and there's a moonstone somewhere that's a source of power and it shows the power plant. I was like, okay. Oh, and then like immediately one of the first scenes is we're tearing down the power plant. 
And it's like, I guess it was still supposed to be something of a reveal that that's where the stone is. Oh, yeah, I see that. I was just checked out enough that I I guess I missed that in the opening. But it's it's it would be pretty easy to assume that that's where it's all leading. Right. Still, though, I thought it was a good way to tie in this new group to an established yeah, that, location. I like that, yeah. But now the werewolves are afraid that if the power plant falls, it's going to destroy the moonstone. And so Zed's off doing his own self-loathing thing at the start of this scene, but Addison gathers together the werewolves and most of the zombies and the cheerleaders, and they all storm the power plant in this song called Flesh and Bone, which completely turned me around on this movie. I did not like Zombies 2. And then this powerhouse number comes on, where it's all three groups coming together and dancing through the sewers of this power plant. And it's just, it's another number where, like, all of a sudden we take things to the next level in visuals, the way it was with the zombie party like under the streets in Zombies 1, but even more so here because there's just so many people and we like get dance segments where it's the three distinct groups and then they all merge. And I don't know about you, I thought this was really well done. No, this was this was really cool visually. This was actually the one moment where I kind of dug that like weird dark blue color that was distinctively for the werewolves because... They did this thing. I don't even know exactly how they did it, where it like reflects off of the ground. I don't know if it's supposed to be water or something, but it kind of like melded with the world around it, like this seeping blue power. And then the humans come in and they like whatever, for whatever reason, the lights around them are all like a, a light pink. And then the zombies come in and they all have a green light around them. And then I don't know. It's just like it's it was you're right. Really visually cool. And yeah, they're splashing around in water and stuff. And, and they're like thumping on the old control panels in the power plant. And it was cool. Yeah. It did seem like, to the extent that this was a cool thing where everything came together, the rest of the movie was just like hand-waving major portions of what I thought this story was going to be. Like figuring out how zombies, werewolves, and humans unite. Well, Addison is just like... Well, we need to unite. And then they go to the sewer and they're all united. And like, oh, I guess they united. And Zed is like, shows up and he's like, I'm sorry. And they like are completely made up in one scene between Zed and Addison. I was like, oh, I I'm digging this. I thought there was going to be a little more story to it because this is one's actually pretty short. It's like an hour and 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah. You, the way to end racism is you just get over it. You don't be racist. The end. <laughs> Bingo bongo. We, somebody needs to say, particularly like a, a white person needs to say, hey, let's unite. And then there you go. It's, it's done. This powerhouse music number, though, it does win over the humans. So Zed's dad, like, turns the key the other way. He's not going to destroy the power plant. But I guess it's too late. And the explosive charge goes off anyway. So I guess it's good that they had vacated the premises seconds before. Otherwise, this could have gone differently. But the power plant is destroyed, falls down into the depths beneath it. And I it would appear destroys the moonstone because immediately all the werewolves are like dying. They're all hacking and coughing and losing <laughs> like, their powers. Under blankets and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> then we get a scene where it's back at the human prawn, which remember is the prom if you've forgotten. And I guess Zed's been off by himself for a little while, kind of reckoning with the fact that he is a monster. And zombies do have a distinct culture, even if it's just green hair and Z words. <laughs> he like goes and talks to his other zombie friends. And the I think it's the activist girl, Eliza, says, Monsters don't follow rules. You know, we are monsters, and, and monsters break the rules, and so let's go crash the prawn. Then Zed and the zombies and the werewolves all get together and head over to the human prawn and crash it in their, like, monster formal wear, which is kind of cool. But the werewolves are all still dying. <laughs> They're just all, like... <laughs> lounging around at the prom deteriorating yeah like decrepit like imagine going to your high school prom and like a third of the attendees were dying from cancer it's like that's the energy here yeah this is not this is something this is something that our prom was definitely missing <laughs> a couple of thoughts green hair and z words that's a, a possible episode title right there yep also at the prawn, uh, you know, we've mentioned that it's the Joker's aesthetic a whole bunch of times, but I got to say when Zed dresses up in a suit that is like that purplish, dark pinkish color, he literally looks like the Joker when he's going to prawn here. <laughs> yep, you're right. He does. But like there's an earthquake and the werewolves determine that the moonstone is still down there, intact, under the ground. Why are they dying if the stone is still good and whole? I don't know. No answer are we given. The whole sequencing here, it feels like the prom should have, or sorry, the prawn should have come after the resolution of the moonstone thing. Right, but it's back and forth. It's We get part before and part after because they run down into the underground where they find a seemingly completely intact moonstone. They all touch their little medallions to it and power up their wolf souls. And there's a brief moment where there's like a cave-in, which, honestly, Zed's dad should have been there and said, hey, you don't just run down into a hole that's opened up in the ground. <laughs> because basically the whole mining industry could tell you that's not safe. You gotta secure it. Am I crazy? Or It's like, it's not just... Here's a hole near where the demolition was. It's like a whole freaking sinkhole collapses the entire floor of the school. What is it? I don't know what's going on here. Just like piecing it all together. Oh, isn't there like a, a scene where it shows like the hole like rippling through the town like an earthquake? Yeah, it's like a mole hole. It's like tunneling along. I thought there was going to be some kind of creature. Yeah, like the dune sandworm or something. But no, it just forms a perfect path to get down to the Moonstone. Briefly, a cave-in happens, but Zed embraces his monster self and brings out the Hulk's strength, moves the boulder, and everybody gets to go back to Prawn, where, I will concede, we get a nice reprise of Someday, where we get the slow dance with Zed and Addison, they get their kiss, it was kind of nice. I agree, yeah. So, here we go. Victorious, prawn scene, everybody's together. And then we get 
a little epilogue where Addison's like asleep at her house and a meteor streaks through the sky outside and her hair glows. So we got to stay tuned because there's a Zombies 3 coming. We already said it, but yeah. I was surprised. I didn't know there was going to be a Zombies 3 and now I know and I'm hyped. It's a s- sequel hook. Yeah. So what do you think it's going to be? Is she an alien, Dan? Are we going to get zombies and werewolves and aliens and cheerleaders? So, um, I, I don't know how much you want to be spoiled, but the, ta- or not the tagline, the the logline is already up on IMDb and Letterboxd. And it does tell you there is a new monster species, and it's not hard to guess, I will say. Okay, well, we're still uh, we're still in spooky month as far as we're concerned. So what is it? I mean, it's, it's aliens. I think it's like graduation themed, but aliens show up is the gist of it. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, that's that's what the the kind of one sentence description says on on IMDb. So I'm intrigued for sure. And oh, I did see that one person cast as an alien is the guy who plays EJ in High School Musical, the musical, the series, the kind of the taller suave guy from from that series. Nice. I'm ready. Yeah, me too. I want to go see it in theaters. I don't think it's going to be showing in theaters, unfortunately. <laughs> Not like High School Musical 3. No. That that would have been a good arc, though. Like Just like High School Musical 3, get the third one out in theaters. I, I don't think Zombie has quite that uh, level of cultural cachet, though. No, not quite. But some of the songs have hundreds of millions of views on YouTube, so who can say? Sure. Man, I gotta know. I want I want the secrets revealed. I want the trilogy... To culminate, yeah. What's the hair? Yeah. All right. <laughs> that was Zombies 1 <laughs> and 2 from 2018 and 2020, respectively. So what things do you want to call out, Dan, before we bring this thing home and tell the listeners whether they're good? Yeah, I've hit almost all of my points. Lots of nitpicks, as I'm sure you all heard. But, I mean, in general, like, the music is high energy and fun and the choreography is good. And... Like that alone carries this movie well past the watchability line. And I, I complained that the second one was really short, but I actually like that it's short to, to the extent that it felt like in the first 10 minutes, it was just going to be like all this werewolf nonsense, moonstone, secret lands, who's the great alpha. It just kind of skims over all that stuff and, and is more about the dancing and the shifting allegiances of Addison and the tension that that brings. So I thought that it's even though I think it's not quite as fun as the first, it moves right along. It has a couple of fun runners I liked. So the zombies, their language thing is everything is a Z in werewolves. All their language there. There's like all sorts of different howls. Like their language is different kinds of howls. And there's some some fun Jokes about that that come up. Oh, one moment I really did not like in Zombies 1 that I didn't get to mention is the moment when the zombies get arrested, like near the end, the camera pivots like right back to Addison and she has a song about how she feels sad about this. And this might have been the most tone deaf moment for me for the whole thing. It's like, yeah, zombies are being like physically oppressed at this moment. And so we're going to have a song about how Addison is feeling sad right now. 
That that one was a little bit over the top for me. <laughs> Are zombies always this harassed? <laughs> we need to make goods t-shirts with quotes from the show. And... Yeah. <laughs> what One gag I, I really liked that carried over from both movies. It was started out in the first one. There's a joke how in like the perfect utopian suburban land, they have frozen yogurt restaurants, but they only have the flavor of vanilla. Everything is vanilla. And then in the second movie, now that humans are more open to, to monsters and diversity, the football coach, because it's not a football any, movie anymore, he needs to be around. So he's now a, a Froyo salesman and he's playing up, hey, we have all sorts of flavors, not just vanilla. And I thought that was a pretty fun gag. Yep, they have, you know, the brain flavor. So you got a few others. But then at the end, once the werewolves are welcome too, we have a peanut butter and bone flavor added to the <laughs> retinue. You did this to him, all of you, because you couldn't deal with someone different. That's what Addison said at one point in the first one. We couldn't deal with someone who was different. That was really our problem all along. Man, I'm glad Addison was here to lay it all out for us. <laughs> What about you, Brian? What, are there any other good things or not so good things or observations that we didn't get around to? Well, I've laid out most of my thoughts uh, just to reiterate before I drop my rating. I love the choreography in both movies. I thought overall the songs were stronger in the first film. Uh, by the way, if you had to say best song, worst song of Zombies 1, what, what do you say, Dan? Uh, Zombies 1... I think the one that really stood out is Someday. I'm not sure it's actually like the best song, but I really liked the scene and had the way that the song kind of recurred. And that one stuck in my head a little bit more than the others. Although the whole line, we're going to be Someday, is the climax of that song. I don't know what that means. We're going to be Someday. That doesn't mean anything. That's a, that's a collection of words that only gets halfway towards coherence no i think you can parse it as a as a sentence it's uh we are going to be in the sense of we are going to exist someday so the thing that is going to be is we we are going to be we are going to be someday so okay so you're saying it's someday we will be yes okay i guess so still feels weird to me but sure um worst song is the one where Addison is feeling sad after the zombies are imprisoned. What about you? So for me, best song, it's tough between Someday and Fired Up. I think they both serve their purpose as well. For me, worst song is going to be Bam, which is the song during the crazy zombie party dance, which great production design, great choreography, really innovative visuals the song was just a big nothing for me. Okay. I didn't like how many times they said, you're in zombie land. But what about uh, number two? Best song, worst song? <laughs> I liked the Uptown Funk song. And I, I liked the one where they're at the, the sewer, or sorry, they're at the, the power plant or whatever. And they're like sloshing around in the water and glowing in their lights and fighting racism together. That one was pretty good too. What's that one called? Like something, uh, flesh, fire, tooth. What is it called? Yeah, Flesh and Bone, which is definitely my pick for the best song, too. Yeah. What's your low light? So they all ran together very much, and so I didn't have a distinct low light. 
I thought the opener song was much weaker this time around. It didn't get me excited. Was that the werewolf song? Or what was the opener here? So the opener one is We Got This. Can you even remember what that one is? I can't even remember that one. You're right. (laughs) Because I really liked the opener in the first one. And I was disappointed the opener here was kind of blah. Yeah, forgettable. But for me, the one that was just like offensively bad was the early on werewolf song. It's called We Own the Night, and they just say over and over, Oh, we own what we own. We own the night. (laughs) And they say it over and over again, which, if you haven't gathered, is a sticking point for me with songs. If you say the same thing over and over, I'm tuning out. I'm not on board. Interesting. One of my least favorite songs is... uh, the the police song about the the bottle message in a bottle message in a bottle and they say sending out an sos sending out an sos sending out an sos and they do that for like two minutes (laughs) i that is the worst song ever written as far as i'm concerned it's like go go back to the drawing board (laughs) i'm sorry that i'm derailed myself here but no, the, oh, we own what we own, we own the night, didn't do much Okay, yeah, yeah. What about, uh, I don't want to go to school from the Naked Brothers Band? That's a bad one, too. <laughs> you're right. That's a deep cut from the goods past. I'm, I'm glad you got that stored in your memory banks. <laughs> that One of those kids, one of those uh, Naked Brothers was just in that M. Night Shyamalan movie on the, the beach. Oh, old. Is that what it's called? Yeah, old. Oh, I didn't know that. That he was in that. That's one that I was open to seeing with low expectations, but... It sounds interesting. Uh, Buzzed on Movies did an episode okay. about it, so I'm curious. Oh, yeah, Alex Wolf. So the one we've seen is Nat Wolf. Alex Wolf is one of the other ones, and he, he's in that one. And uh, so those are the things in our heads as we're, as we're moving forward. Um, some not-so-good things for me. If it wasn't obvious, the songs were kind of hit or miss. They really watered the idea of a monster down to almost nothingness as far as i'm concerned these are not zombies dan said that a care bear is not a bear well whatever these green-haired half hulks are is not a zombie (laughs) green-haired half hulks i like that but overall you know i thought one had its strengths i thought two had its strengths as well so uh are you ready to put a rating on these yeah let's go all right so you're our guest, Dan. So what do you say? So I'll start with Zombies 1. So we're in the Is It Good section. Is It Good is our signature section on this podcast where we each give the movie a rating on our eight points goodness scale, ranging from very not good, a one out of eight, to our masterpiece rating, Tour Day Good, which is an eight out of eight. And so looking at Zombies 1, by the way, stylized Z-O-M-B-I-E-S, on uh, most of the copy I've seen describing the movie, like with hyphens between the letters. You're like, give me a Z, give me an O. I guess that's how they brought the cheerleaders into the title. So this movie, my number one observation is that it is weird. It is strange. It has like this racism parable element that is pushed so strong that it loops back around into goofiness so that it like... The badness didn't bother me all that much anymore because it was just kind of stupid. And also the colors, like I would not expect a TV high school focused musical, middle school focused musical 
to have like these really weird and intense and color decisions and, and visual things on its mind. And yeah, the, the music is not a home run, but the choreography is pretty close to a home run. And it's just fun and charming. The script itself, I mean, you heard me narrating the lines earlier, like it's dopey, man. It's not good writing. And that's the kind of thing that can bother me a lot, but I kind of got over it. I'm like really close to the edge of a good-ish and a good. I think talking through it, I've maybe had kind of forgotten just how fun the choreography was. And you playing that up is just one other factor of something that that I really should be valuing in this because thinking back on it, there really is some really cool stuff going on with the production of this being a musical. And so I'm going to give this a low five good. So that would put it probably below high school musical one and maybe high school musical three, but just a hair above high school musical two and where I I scored them. And honestly, that feels about right. So I think, I think I'll land there. What about you, Brian? Nice. So, I'm in a pretty similar place as you. I should really go back to the tapes and uh, see what I rated the various high school musicals because I feel like I was kind of harsh on some of those. This movie is definitely stranger. So where I land with it, I'm going to make this one a high four, a good-ish with all the things that I've said um, brought to bear. Like if it was just the choreography and the colors... Eight. Eight out of eight on both of those. But the writing drags it down, the, like, weirdly on-the-nose and and just kind of ham-handed themes drag it down. I I like it. I I will toss on some of these tunes. Uh, I have in one of my favorite mix CDs I got Someday on there, so... It's not a nothing film. There's some good to be gleaned. Nice. And then, uh, for number two, what do you got? So... Number two for me is very distinctly a step down. I thought that the werewolves were kind of stupid and I didn't buy into them and I didn't really buy into most of the plot itself and the music was just not as exciting. It did do some interesting things as it kind of dug more into like, what does it mean to be a zombie in modern day integrated whatever universe this is and how does that play when there's a new monster slash minority coming in that was kind of interesting and it does really escalate as the movie goes along i really feel like the beginning is real ragged and then it gets kind of exciting towards the end although it does still have some weird pacing and sequencing stuff in the script at the end i am kind of at a low four high three i think i will land Let's call it a very low four. So I'll say that it is good-ish because it's still so much fun when they're singing and dancing. And if you're just there for that, it's good. But a lot of the other stuff doesn't click for me. Yeah, I'll say that for like the first two thirds of Zombies 2, I was really down on it. I didn't like the werewolves shattered the color scheme. And I mean, (laughs) that's the big thing, I guess. Also, the songs just aren't as good uh, as the first film, I didn't think. But then the weird zombie as model minority thing grew on me. There's like a line where Zed says, we started at the bottom and had to work for what we have. Now they have to do it too, or something like that. And 
I don't know. The the handling of it is is interesting. Maybe still ham-handed, but interesting. They're trying to do more here. So this movie also gets for me a four out of eight, a good-ish. And with the understanding that the first movie has better music and a more consistent color scheme, but it's number two that comes in with more interesting social commentary. And that flesh and bone number really delivered a compelling and satisfying finale for me. Nice. All right. Well, that was Zombies 1 and 2 from the Disney Channel catalog. I hope you have enjoyed this spooky season here on The Goods. Five more spooktacular Halloween chapters, even as we head deep into November. How's it been for you, Dan, this spooky season? Good. I've loved it. I had a couple more spooky movies that I, I had identified as candidates and wanted to potentially pick. But, you know, Halloween's passed. I need to start recalibrating myself. So I, the one I'm going to pick, I think, maybe has some hints of spookiness to it. I don't really know all that much about it, so I don't know how much there is there. But it's definitely not strictly a horror movie or really a horror movie at all. And the movie that I am going to pick for us to be watching is the 1984 comedy-ish movie. I don't really know. Wikipedia calls it a science fiction black comedy, so we'll see. Called Repo Man. And this was recommended to me by the same friend who recommended me 12 Monkeys a while ago. So he said he thought I would like this movie. So I'm going to put it on our docket. I'm going in fairly blind and... We'll see how we like Repo Man. Oh, cool. I'm looking forward to it because uh, long-time listeners may remember that 12 Monkeys is one that Dan proposed that I actually gave a higher rating than Dan did, which doesn't happen too often, but I ended up liking that one, so I'm curious. I've not seen this one either. Cool. Now that you've heard from us, we want to hear from you. Email us a review of Zombies or Zombies 2 or any film we've previously discussed on The Goods. Each week, we'll read one of your reviews on the podcast. If we pick your review, we'll send you a $5 Amazon gift card, enough for a free movie rental. You can send your review to thegoodsfilmpodcast at gmail.com. That's thegoodsfilmpodcast at gmail.com. We did not have any submissions this week, Brian, so none to read, but we're hoping to hear from you all soon. And with that, Brian, I think we're done for the night. You're right, Dan. So we're... Burying spooky season back in the grave. Dig it up again next year. Yeah. But we've got more movies coming your way soon, so keep listening to The Goods, a film podcast. Mm-hmm.